Welcome in to the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. We are all on the show today, uh, and it's New Year's Eve. Uh, so happy New Year's to you and all of you Duck fans that listen to the show. Maybe you're, you're a Liberty fan, uh, so even happy New Year's to you guys as well. Hopefully 2023 was good. 2024 is even better. Uh, and for both these teams, they're hoping to get this year off to a great start with a win in the VRBO Fiesta Bowl. Um, Oregon last played here in 2021, which was the COVID season of 2020. They lost to Iowa State. Uh, but they've played in two other Fiesta Bowls and won both of those. Some of the more historic bowl games in Oregon's history. We'll see what Monday leads um, for this one. Guys, Oregon's a heavy favorite. Um, even Chadwell, the head coach for um, Liberty, Jared and I were just at press conferences with both those coaches, and he even joked like, you know, we just don't have the, the size to replicate what Oregon does in practice. And, you know, hopefully Dan just doesn't destroy us too bad. They, they are definitely leaning into the ultimate Cinderella story here. Oregon's like a, what, Jared, like a, what is it, three-score favorite in this game? Last time I checked, it was like 17 and a half, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's Oregon's coming in here as a heavy favorite. And I think all three of us are probably going to pick Oregon to win. Let's spoil that. But um, this is a game where even though there's I, – I guess for me, like even though there's there's this expectation that Oregon's better, they're playing an, an air quotes inferior opponent, like there's still a lot on the line, a 12-win season still on the line. And if they somehow don't win this game, it turns the entire narrative of the season really sour which you would hate to see considering how good it was. Yeah. And, you know, for as incredible it has been for Bo and Bucky and Dorlis and all these guys to play in. And if this game doesn't go a certain way, you don't have the built-in excuse that like an uh, Ohio state or Florida state has this week where they get blasted in one case and kind of play pretty embarrassing offensive football in the other and you can point to and say, well, we were without all our key guys. Like Oregon will have its quarterback. It'll have its running back. It'll be obviously without two of its best players with Troy Franklin and uh, Jackson Powers, Jack Johnson, a couple of All-Americans. But in general, like this is a pretty good representation of this Oregon team. And if they come out and, and, and lose another game and the season ends with two losses – this will be a year that you look back and go, man, they just kind of sputtered to the finish line. And, and to me, it'll represent a little bit of 2021. I, I don't know. I can't remember if I made that comparison on the most recent podcast. We talked about that off off podcast. But, you know, you go back in that 21 season, how special it felt like it could have been after they win in Columbus and they, they win a bunch of games in a row. And then the wheels just completely fall off. And you look back and you go, oh, that was kind of a bummer of a season. Yeah, there were some high points. Not that I would completely compare it to this season but if they drop their last two games i think there would be a, a sense of now that was kind of just a bummer the way that ended even though there were obviously some incredible highs throughout the season so i think this year's team is clearly much better than the 21 team um and i don't think it takes a rocket scientist scientist to point that out but um, there would be some similarities in the level of disappointment if they aren't able to finish this season out with the win especially and I actually think Liberty's probably a lot better than a lot of the people have been giving them credit for throughout the course of you know the last few weeks. But 
the perception of a loss to Liberty to end the season would the perception would at least be that boy that that was pretty terrible way to end the year. Yeah, the perception would be would be brutal. I mean, we all remember how USC was perceived after they lost to Tulane last year, um, especially in dramatic fashion. I apologize for my voice. I'm a bit. I don't know if I'm sick. If I have allergies, whatever the case may be, but I sound different. Um, this game. Or like you guys have talked about, Oregon is by far the, the better team, the more talented team, the more complete team. Uh, but this Liberty team is certainly nothing to laugh about. I mean, they have the best rush offense in the country, averaging over 300 yards a game, which is incredible, mind you. Like the mm -hmm. lowest uh, total they've had all year is like 170-something yards. Um, but Oregon's rush defense is one of the best in the country. They're a top-10 team in the country for rush defense. So that's where I think this game is going to be won or lost, depending on who you are. Um, I think that's, that's – kind of like an easy out for me to be like, oh, well, if they stop the best rush the offense in the country, then Oregon will have a good shot. But I think it could be pretty much that simple. Granted, um, Caden Salter is a really good quarterback. Um, he excels a lot in the deep ball passing. Um, he's on PFF. His pass grade deep is 94. He's completed 49% of his attempts over 20 yards um, for a majority of his yards on the season, 1,219 touchdowns. So, that's something that Oregon has to limit as well. But um, this is certainly a good opponent. Uh, I think Dan has said it all week here at the Fiesta Bowl. Like, you know, they're 13-0. and 0. How often do you see a team that continues to be undefeated throughout the course of the year? I think there's three teams left now that are undefeated after Florida State lost to Georgia the other day. So Liberty's one of them. Like, this should not be a team that is um, – you know, overthought or taken or whatever the case may be. Like, this is a quality opponent. And, you know, I was talking to Dan about how he continues to motivate his team. Um, and he's just saying that he can't let his team get complacent. He can't let any of his teams get complacent. He did the same when Georgia in 2021 when they were – or 2022 when they were, like, one of the best teams in college football history. It's not letting the team get complacent. And that's what Oregon has to avoid – this week and I guess just tomorrow because um, the game's in 24 hours or so. And Jared and I are down here in Scottsdale and we have spoken with players. We've spoken with the assistant coaches, we've spoken with coordinators and obviously Dan Lanning. And I don't want to speak for Jared, but I think you would agree. Um, I think that the, the, the sincerity of this team being all in and not overlooking their opponent and showing up ready to go is genuine. Like we've, we've seen teams talk. The yeah, talk. I agree. And yeah. like, like we've seen talk to talk, we've seen teams talk to talk and then show up when the lights are on and the ball is kicked off and don't back it up. And obviously we don't know how Oregon's going to respond on Monday and, and how they're going to play from an execution standpoint and from a physicality standpoint. But like I will be absolutely blown away if this team lays a dud on Monday. And if they lose and and Liberty plays a place that happened here, very similar to what Boise State did way back when in the BCS era when those games were on Fox and they played Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl and they had to pull out every single trick in the book, but they executed them and they pulled off the, the shocking overtime upset win. Like if that happens and, and and Liberty plays unreal football, like it, it's going to be a negativity for Oregon. But at least in that game, Oklahoma, like they came ready to play. They didn't overlook their opponent. They just got beat. And I think you could kind of live with that. What you can't live with is 
what happened last time they were here in the Fiesta Bowl against Iowa State. Eric and I were very confident uh, yeah. in, in this Oregon team, and they, they talked about it, and they said they all the right things. Then they showed up, and it was a disaster. And I, I just – I will be blown away if that outcome plays out um, based off what the team has said and the players have said. Yeah, that last uh, Fiesta Bowl was a learning experience for Matt and I. We were like, hey, look at these talent right rankings comparing Oregon and Iowa State. Oregon's so much better. And then you look in the NFL now, and Brock Purdy's like one of the MVP candidates. <laughs> and Brees Hall's putting up huge stats. And a couple of other guys on defense are still good players in the NFL. Yeah, no, I think we uh, we got that one wrong. So I, I don't see this Liberty team having quite that same level of talent. I think Caden Salter, though, just to spend a little bit of time on him, like his profile as a player is different than what you would expect for a player playing at a school like Liberty. Like this is a top 50 recruit nationally in 2021, um, went to Tennessee. It didn't work out. He moved down a level, you know, moved down to a group of five level school and has just completely excelled this year and has statistically aside from Jaden Daniels, the best dual threat quarterback in the country. And both those guys ran for more than a thousand yards, obviously through for a ton. Um, to Jared's point, I was just looking it up here. Uh, Liberty has, or Salter, but Liberty has uh, seven pass completions of over 50 yards this year. Um, only a couple of quarterbacks have more, and those are the big names. Caleb Williams, uh, next year's Oregon quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, had nine at Oklahoma. But like those are the type of names you're looking at that have been more successful stretching the ball downfield. And um, and they've got some skill position guys that are, again, I don't know if they're, they're not NFL players the way like Brees Hall and Brock Purdy are, but like Quentin Cooley, CJ Daniels, like their, their star guys have statistically been impressive. And if you go watch them, these are guys that look like, you know, big time college football players playing on a, on a team that has won a ton of games. So like they certainly offensively for me, check a lot of boxes, um, Obviously, like you look at the statistical profile, this is one of the better offenses in the country without question. Like it's up there with Oregon and Washington and LSU as like kind of in that elite tier um, in a lot of ways. Jared touched on the run defense and to kind of stick there just for a second before I, I let you guys jump in. I, I, I think to me, I, I'm in total agreement with Jared about the trenches being kind of the de determining factor in this game because to Jamie Chadwell's point earlier about like, can they in practice manufacture what Oregon does in the trenches? And that being a question, that to me is sort of the question for this game for me because, you know, it's one thing to run for 300 yards a game playing Conference USA opponents. And if you look at their non-conference schedule, even there's not really a power five right. opponent in there. Like it's not like they challenge themselves in non-conference play and have this win over even Missouri. I mean, Missouri. Yeah, there you go. But like, it's not like, you know, you you, sometimes you, you look up at like a, 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 a schedule and you go, oh, that's right. Early on in the season, they upset Nebraska or something like they played some sort of big time program. They didn't. That's not what the schedule was for them this year. So my big question is, like, can Oregon establish itself in the trenches offensively in the run game? Something that based upon I know, Jared, you talked to Will Stein this week. That sounds like a priority in this particular game for Oregon. And then on the other side of the ball, I mm -hmm. think it's really going to be decided of can Oregon slow down? Liberty's rush attack because if, if Liberty is able to run for even if it's 250 yards, this game's a lot more competitive than anybody on the Oregon sideline, anybody in the Oregon fan base wants it to be. Um, and I think this is a game you're hoping Oregon can kind of flex in the trenches and show, hey, yeah, there is a big step down from where Oregon is at in the trenches to where Liberty is at, even though they've had a special year. 
um, you want Oregon to come out of this game feeling like, yeah, we were the bigger, badder team up front. And, you know, on paper, they very clearly are. Um, you know, Liberty played two top 50 rush defenses this season in Old Dominion and New Mexico State. And they both allowed, you know, under 150 yards, but they're both over 140 yards. You know, Oregon is sitting at under 100 yards on, on the season average. So that's a 50-yard difference that, like you said, Eric, like could could make or break the, the difference in the game because of how interesting, how weird, how, how creative, however you want to describe this Liberty offense because – Oregon has not played a team like this or even like remotely close to this all season long, at least in my opinion. I think that they're a very interesting defense or offense. They go a lot of RPO heavy. They're rush heavy, obviously. You know, Bo Nix has doubled the amount of attempts that Salter has in the season. Salter has 266 total attempts. Bo has like 430 or 433, something like that. And, you know, like, it's going to be difficult for Oregon to kind of you know, revert back to this rush-heavy offense um, compared to what they've seen all season long, especially the last couple of weeks, like especially against Washington or something like that. And But they do have the advantage in the trenches. They do have the advantage there, I think, on both sides of the ball. Oregon's offensive line is really physical, and even without Jackson Powers Johnson, you still put in Poncho, Ipani Laulu, who's – yeah, big boy in his own right. He's over 300 pounds who can move some guys around. So I think the trenches is going to be where it's won or lost. I think it's an easy cop-out in terms of kind of time, trying to diagnose this game, who can win, who can lose. But I think it's the most important part. I think that there's, uh, other than maybe Oregon's secondary help over the top, um, I think that the, the trenches is just by far and away the most important part of this game. I, I think for me um... – it's another one that's very easy cop out, but it's the turnovers. Like, yeah, if like Liberty is Liberty is so good at creating turnovers, they're one of the best teams. I think they came into bowl season um, leading the country in, in turnovers forced, and Oregon obviously just doesn't turn the football over, and that's that's how these upsets kind of happen, or these underdog stories, these underdog teams are able to hang with a better performing or better, more talented, deeper program like Oregon is Oregon plays a little sloppy. They, they give some short fields. And next thing you know, uh, Liberty is, is able to score, you know, once or, or two other possessions that they normally wouldn't have. If Oregon doesn't turn the football over uh, and then combine that with what you guys have said in the trenches, like that is how this game turns into what odds makers, everyone outside the two programs believe this game is going to be. Uh, a, a three score or more win for Oregon because I do believe it, it's it's fair to say Oregon has the better players. Oregon has the deeper roster. Um, they've probably got the best player on the field on both sides of the football. And if they show up and they execute how they're supposed to, even with the guys that are out, and we'll touch on that here in a second, like they should win. And it becomes a question of now by how much. But if you don't execute and you open the door, this Liberty team is going to have the ability to move the ball and score and make this game more interesting, even win this game, if Oregon doesn't show up and, and play its better football. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about who's not here, not playing. We've talked about it. Uh, the opt-outs, real quick, if you've missed it, uh, Kyrie Jackson, Troy Franklin, Jackson Powers, Johnson, um, they have all opted out. 
couple notable transfers. Uh, Triclass Bridges has has left the program and, and will not be playing. Uh, Oregon's down to like five scholarship receivers because of some guys who have who've transferred. Granted, they didn't really play much. Um, Ty Thompson is, is is off the program due to a transfer. So the backup is Austin Novoset at quarterback behind Bo Nix. Uh, but the bigger questions here are injuries. Who's available to play? Jared and I have gone to two football practices. I think we learned a lot. The first practice uh, and then <laughs> – the second yeah. practice, uh, we, we probably, it was probably, <laughs> yeah, it was hard to figure things out on that one because Oregon was wearing uh, jersey swap day, uh, last full contact practice. So we had Brandon Dorless wearing Jordan Birch's number. We had Bucky Irving wearing, uh, I can't remember who Bucky Irving was wearing, but Troy Franklin, uh, not Troy Franklin, Bo Nix is wearing Bucky's uh, Bucky Irving's number. Um, we had receivers wearing like fifty three. It was. It was wild. Yeah, uh, it was fun from a, pers- from a perspective of identification. But I think we have an idea of where Birch is at, where Florence is at, where Dalen Austin is at, and a couple other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Jared, you wrote the story, so I'll, I'll let you discuss where those things stand with those guys. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I, I don't think Julio Florence is going to play. We did not yeah. see him on the practice field. We did not even see him during the media availability where – Every player on the team was made available. Um, the only players who weren't there were Jaleel Florence and Dalen Austin and Noah Whittington. So three guys who have either been a, dealing with injuries all season long, basically Austin and, and especially Whittington, and then Jaleel Florence, who was injured against Arizona State, didn't play against Oregon State or Washington. So didn't see those guys at practice at all. Um, but we saw Jordan Birch both days when we were out there. Uh, he was a full participant in both practices. He's got a leg brace on his left knee, which I think is fine if he's out there participating. Um, Roderick Pleasant was out there. He was a yes. And Justice Lowe, surprisingly, was also a yes. So some guys that haven't you haven't really seen. I mean, it's been a while since we've gone to a practice, but – um, when we were going to practices frequently, these were guys that we either did or did not see, especially Lowe and Roderick. Um, but I don't think we're not, we're, I'm going to say, we're definitely not seeing Jaleel Florence tomorrow. If he wasn't practicing at all this week, I don't think he's going to be playing. Um, I don't even know if we've seen him yet this entire week, but that's okay. Um, Oregon's going to go strong sure. with Dante Manning and, You've I was seen him? pretty sure I saw him. Um, he was up above, like in like the training room that they have for the injured guys. The first day, of right, practice. right, right. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. He, he was in a balcony, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't on the grass, like of the same practice field. He was in a completely different building. Right. Yeah. I mean, they were they were practicing on a baseball field, which wouldn't make a difference if, for guys who were hurt or not. But I thought it was funny. Um, yeah. So I think that's the injury report. I think other than that. And the guys who have opted out, like Matt just ran through, um, I think Oregon's pretty good. Um, we only we didn't really get to see them go into any formations or anything like that. I think the one interesting thing that I took away was um, we can get into this too if we want. But the first team offensive line was exactly the same, just with Poncho at center, which is what we expected, what we've kind of been predicting for the last couple of weeks ever since Jackson yep. Powers Johnson elected to go to the draft. But the more interesting part is Jurion Dickey was no, the number one X receiver for a majority of these quote-unquote snaps. Um, there weren't, wasn't really anything. It was just more so like route tree stuff and 
like just getting easy throws to the quarterbacks kind of to warm up, but he was number one. It was him and then Trayshawn Holden out there at the X receiving position. So I thought that was interesting. A lot of good things said about Jurion throughout the week. Um, but for practice, that's about it. We, that's that's all we got other than that and the early enrollees, but that's a, not a really a game preparation thing. But we can talk about it if we want game to. Yeah, I, I think the jury on thing is is probably one of the biggest secondary stories of this of this game. Um, just what does he look like? Uh, we've talked about it before. He's finally healthy. He had that meniscus injury uh, as a high school senior, and that really derailed his first year at Oregon. And Jared has the story up on DuckTerritory.com that there's a lot of interest from even his own peers of what he can do, what he will do. Um, Junior Adams told me he's going to get an opportunity. He's going to get playing time. Um, and it's just he's excited to see what that leads to. And maybe that's the, the, the bigger discussion is, is that there's a handful of freshmen or, a hand, you know, maybe redshirt freshmen or sophomores that just haven't played a lot this season that because of injury or because of departures, whether it's opt-out or going pro or transfer, are going to have to play. And – that's, you know, there's a lot of things that Oregon's fighting for for the final chapter of 2023, but also maybe a, a preview of just what 2024 could be. And we're going to we're going to learn a lot about that. And in, in, in this bowl game, I think uh, just for a second, sticking with jury on, I'd imagine. And if you should go read the story Jared wrote about kind of the perception internally on the team with the players with Jurion. I'm guessing there's a lot of guys who when Jurion arrived said, man, physically, I know he was injured and that's a big part of the reason he wasn't able to be ready, but I just looked at him and said, man, physically he is so gifted. Like if when the light turns on, this is going to be special. And and my my guess is that over the last month or so, and certainly since Troy opted out and you know it kind of the opportunity arose that the light bulb has kind of come on for jury on and, and the teammates are just excited because like physically every, nobody's ever doubted that part of it. I know there was some conditioning issues because of the injury, but you know, kind of talking to some players throughout the year, it sounded like it was playbook. It was just getting comfortable in a college system. It was those sort of things. And if, you know, I think it was Will Stein who said like, he's basically now had two or three run throughs of the system. Like he's comfortable with where he needs to be, what routes he needs to run. Like I'm guessing there's just a sense internally of like, finally the light bulb has come on and it's at the right time because they need somebody immediately for this bowl game to replace Troy. And they're hoping, and Will said kind of as much in some of the interviews I listened to of like, if he can show some stuff this week, like, Next year, he can be a big part of the game plan. So I'm sure there's just a sense of like, okay, aha, like maybe this is the guy who can step up in the short term on Monday and kind of fill in. But also, if the light bulb truly is on and we'll get a sense on Monday, maybe this is a guy who in 2024 could have that breakout season and to draw a kind of a bit of an unfair comparison because Troy certainly played a lot more in 21 than Jurion has played this year. But Remember how Troy kind of parlayed some big plays in the Alamo Bowl that year into a breakout season yeah. in 2022. I'm not expecting Jurion to have 800 yards in 2024, probably, but maybe the I think kind of the hope is like ah, if he can show some stuff, he can be a starter or that number four guy um, come next season. Yeah, one of my goals of this the, the past couple of media days here was to ask all the all the players, you know, who are some guys to know who are going to have bigger roles because of opt outs, because of going in the portal, whatever the case may be. And the first day, I was blown away. I didn't really know what to expect or whose name to hear, but 
everybody said Jurion Dickey. Like all five defensive players were all like, yeah, no, it's Jurion. And I'm like, okay, why? And they went into it and uh, he looks remarkably different than he did eight weeks ago. He looks remarkably different than he did like at the beginning of the season. He's now physically filled out a little bit more, probably could still add some weight. And I think the the thing that I heard the most was his ability to make a 50-50 ball, a 90-10 ball. That he's just going up and out-muscling and out-maneuvering a defensive back and just getting the ball on his own. And he's really kind of flourished in that X role. Um, I had I talked to Steve Stevens about um, Durian and how he kind of compares to Troy Franklin. And, he's, and Steve said something interesting about it. He's like, Troy would go up and make that play, but Jurion would do it and make it look better. And I'm like, oh, that's normal, like for a very true <laughs> freshman to look as good as like a Belindikoff Award finalist. But like, yeah. I don't want to, you know, drive the Jurion hype train to make it sound like he, if he doesn't have eight receptions for 134 yards and two touchdowns in the Fiesta Bowl, it's a failure. But um, I, I, if I'm an Oregon fan, I would be very encouraged in, in hearing this because there was not a lot of talk about Jurion and now mostly due to injury that we now know of over the course of the season but everybody on defense and nearly everybody on offense said that Jurion Dickey was the guy that they were um, really <laughs> they were excited to see what he could do with this bigger role so uh, at the bare minimum I would expect to see him out there on the field on was it Monday and probably triple his total snap count of the season I don't know what that is off the top of my head but it's not going to be close. He's going to triple, maybe quadruple, maybe ten-tuple uh, because he's only played in three games and just a handful of snaps. So uh, I'm excited to see him. I think everybody else should be too. I probably shouldn't relay this, but I'm pretty sure Will Stein um, – I don't. And the reason why I should relay is because I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty sure it was Will Stein that told me, uh, Jurion, it's safe to say he'll probably play like 20 to 30 snaps in this game. Like that was kind of, I think Stein said that kind of was like a number of what could be easily expected of what he does. And to Jared's point, he's right. Like, I think he's, he's played in three games. He's probably played like eight total snaps and and as a high for a game, which you could get to being double, triple the number. I, I think the yeah, total, I think the total is 30 for the season. It's 30 even. Yeah. Yeah. The most in one game was against Cal and it was 11. Yeah, triple sounds very possible, especially if yes. the Oregon offense is in. It needs him to play, which I think they might in the first. And yeah, who knows? Like we'll, twenty we'll to play. thirty would be, well, I think would be just like wouldn't be normal. But I don't know. We might as well give him as much run as he can. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive into some of our game picks, bold predictions, and score predictions here on the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Uh, time for some game picks here um, for, for Oregon and, and where things are going to be for the score predictions. Um, we go into the final game of the season. Jared still leads by two. Uh, I'm in second with nine. Correct picks. Eric is in third with eight. So all three of us still alive. Still alive. Uh, all three of us could win this uh, for the season. 
Matt, what do, by, by the way, what are we winning? Do we get anything? Did we discuss we this? We get our pride. We get, oh, we get the pride. Sick. <laughs> Makes it all worth it. I thought we were going to get a, the first ever Duck Territory Cup or something. You know, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should make like a, a miniature little cup and you could just pass it around. Like, hey, Oregon, Oregon's playing for a $1.2 million trophy on Monday. Maybe we should play for a $1.20 trophy uh, every there single you go. And uh, and Jared, you, if you assuming you win because you're ahead, you have to put this miniature trophy behind you in your uh, podcast setup <laughs> for the rest of the year, almost to I shame you. That out, but, yeah, you know. So <sighs> that's great. All right, offensive uh, team prediction. Uh, I, I will will go first. Um, I'm very high on Oregon in this game offensively, uh, in large part because its best player Bo Nix is playing. Uh, I I think his ability to be on the field, what he means to this team, uh, even without Jackson Powers Johnson and even without Troy Franklin, uh, Knicks will be able to elevate the play of those who slide into those positions and the other guys that play because of uh, various reasons. So I think Oregon's going to go and they're going to hit 550 yards in this game. uh, And it's going to be 30 first downs, which – 550 yards will be the most uh, in a, a, a Fiesta Bowl that Oregon has played. Uh, they had 500 on the dot in 2001 and also in 2013. Um, and they also had 21 first downs in 2020, in 2013, which is a, a Fiesta Bowl record for Oregon as well. So I'm, I'm saying they're setting a Fiesta Bowl Oregon record for most yards and first downs in this football game, 550 and 30. So it's kind of an unusual deal. We we all know our predictions because we've already published our prediction stories. And I'm going to say, Matt, you you went pretty bold in this one. You uh, yeah. you went against the grain of the reputation uh, in this one. And I don't think you'll have anyone in the, <laughs> in the comments complaining about your lack of boldness here. Um, yeah, I like that one. Uh, I like you're getting a little creative there, throwing a couple different numbers out there. Well, you'll have to hit both of them, I think, to get the point. Yes, yes. I'm making it tough on yourself. Uh, yeah. I, I went kind of similar-ish in terms of I just expect the offense to have success. I'm kind of focused in on the pass game. I will say I made these predictions before I heard Will Stein talk about how important the run game was going to be in this one. <laughs> Uh, and He's I, still going to air it out. I know he will, but he did kind of like make it clear, like we need to run the ball better. And if I had maybe yeah. heard that, maybe I would have, but it's all good. I, I'm going um, Oregon offense throws for more than 350 yards. Um, just a couple of talking points on this one. Not a very good pass defense for Liberty. Um, they've given up over 300 yards in four games this season, allowed about 245 per game. Western Kentucky, which is a aired out offense, not as good of an error at offense as Oregon um, did throw for 381 yards. That's the season high for an opposition against Liberty. I think the one area that I'm kind of interested in is, is the cornerback position for Liberty with Preston Hodge, who was undoubtedly um, one of their better defensive backs out for this one. Um, I think that negates a little bit of Troy Franklin's absence, not entirely obviously, but to, to Matt's point earlier, I, I and we just spent – probably too long talking about jury on I, I expect that the players are going to step up and, and fill in for Troy in a way that will minimize some of that and I also expect that Bo is is going to make it work like right you watch like the top end NFL quarterbacks I'm not saying he's going to go into the NFL and be one of those guys but 
I just remember like Brett Favre and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, certainly Jared, I won't leave him out, like elevated their receiving I cord. Get, I, you know, and, I know. And sometimes those guys didn't have like necessarily all the big names around them, and yet they would still have a lot of success. I think we'll see a little bit of that from Bo where he's he's able to get his guys where he needs them to be as that consummate leader. And physically, Jurion Dickey has the skill set. Treshawn Holden has the skill set. To, right. to win these battles, and I think that they'll find a way to maximize that. So I think 350 more yards through the air. I agree with you on the Knicks part, just kind of elevating his guys. Plus, he, he still has Tez Johnson. Like, that's nothing to sleep at either, a guy who put up 1,000 yards this year. Like, he had Absolutely. two yeah. fantastic weapons, and now he has one fantastic weapon, which is, you know, more than, um, you know, more than what Oregon has had in a couple of years past. But anyways, um, I'm going – I mean, I, I couldn't believe this, but – the most amount of yards Liberty has allowed this year is 499. And that came a handful of weeks ago in the, the championship game to New Mexico State. And it was just too easy and I had to. But Oregon's going to decimate that. I have them at least putting up 500, which means that they get the, the most against Liberty this year. But, you know, I'm with Matt in the terms of where it could be um, because of the the ability that Oregon has to, to run the ball. And I feel like what Eric was saying earlier about um, you know, wanting to establish the run early, what Will Stein wanted to do. And, you know, they could go with that and they could put up a bunch of yards. They can throw the ball and they could put up a bunch of yards. I just think regardless, they're going to throw up more than 500. Um, I think that's, you know, common common practice for Oregon at this point of the year. They've only uh, honestly not put up 500 yards a couple of times. And Liberty's defense is, like, at least statistically, is really confusing to me. Like, they've had four games where they've allowed – under 200 yards passing and then for five games excuse me and four games where they've allowed over 300 yards passing so it's like where is like what what is this is like are you an elite pass defense are you not an elite but we'll see but i think regardless like oregon's gonna um, do well and especially with Bo and bucky and four of their five offensive line starters and tez johnson coming back so 500 more yards um my turn again we're going to individual predictions um, you know, I talked about it. Tez Johnson, I think, is gonna, just going to have a great game. I have him going over 120 yards receiving. Um, I think it's almost a no-brainer that he's going to be the number one option. I don't really think that there's going to be another person who's going to challenge him for that role. Um, maybe it is Cherion Dickey, who, like Eric said, we spent a good amount of time talking about. But uh, Tez Johnson, he... When I talked to him this week, he certainly seemed motivated by the fact that he has faced Jamie Chadwell when he was at Coastal and he had faced Liberty before. And for a majority of his career, he had lost to those two entities, Jamie Chadwell or Liberty. And I think he's motivated. He knows what it, what they're going to try to be like on the other sideline because that's where he was at, at Troy with a lower level school and trying to get to a game like this. So I think he's motivated. I think he puts up over 120 yards which would be fourth on his uh, on his list if he gets 120 exactly this year. So uh, I think he's just going to have a good game. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Eric. I, I, I still have mine. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that pick, Jared. I, I think this could be – that's it's not a coming out party for Tez because he's already had 1,000 yards, but I think right, this right, could be right. a, a game where you appreciate even more how good he is. And let's also be kind of just – to the sentimental part, like this is Bo and Tez's potentially last game ever playing together with this sport. Like, I don't know what the odds are of 
where, uh, where Bo and, and Tez end up on the same roster, but it's pretty unusual that that would take place. So um, this could be something special, and I totally agree with Jared. I wouldn't be surprised even at times if Bo kind of, I want to say forces it into Tez, but takes advantage of as many opportunities as possible just because of what this what this means. Um, I, I stuck with the man of the hour here, uh, Jerry on Dickey. I, I'm, you know, he hasn't caught a pass yet, but I think he's going to catch not only a pass, but a touchdown in this game. Um, I think uh, I think there's going to be a moment or two in this game where everybody gets really excited about Jury on Dickey um, with just to, to Jared's point of like the contested catch. And if you watched him as a high school prospect, you saw why he was a five star and such a highly regarded player. And it was like he's six foot three and he just can out leap out muscle a lot of guys. I think there's going to be a moment or two on Monday where you're like, oh, that is really special stuff. And you're going to come out of this game feeling even better about what his ceiling and future looks like. So uh, I, I'm predicting a touchdown catch from Duran Dickey. As folks know about my predictions, this means he probably not only will he not get a touchdown, he won't even get to the 20, <laughs> the 20 snaps that uh, that Will said they're going to try to play. I'm going to play like three snaps and this whole storyline will be nothing because I, I was the one who ended up predicting. But uh, I like Durian for a touchdown. Uh, all right, my turn. Offensive individual for me is Bo Nix. Um, I just feel like this is his last game. We're going to get a showcase from a play call perspective. Um, very similar to what we saw in the ASU game. But coincidentally, they were down here in the Phoenix area. Um, I, so I went and looked at, like, what was the bull record for most touchdowns thrown by an Oregon QB? And was absolutely flabbergasted that it was four. Um, most recently by – a man named Justin Roper. I certainly know who that is, but for some fans out there, they, that, that could be anybody. That could be just j someone walking down the street. Um, Joey Harrington also did it in the Fiesta Bowl in 2001. Um, so I, I think there is a really good chance that Bo throws at minimum four, um, which wouldn't be setting the record. But I, So I'm going five or more touchdown passes in this game as kind of like the goodbye tour of Bo Nix and uh, his time at Oregon. I, I just I just feel like even with Troy gone, it's going to be the Bo show, and we're going to get five touchdowns for a bull, for, for a bull record for Oregon. That, uh, that stat surprises me there. I don't know why, but I would have thought somebody else would have done. And, and, yeah. and actually, I had another bull stat that surprised me really briefly because I know you got sure. your defensive pick. I posted it in the Slack channel. I don't know if you guys saw it. Oregon hasn't won a bowl game by more than one point since they beat Florida State in the Rose Bowl in 2014. Really? Yeah. The last three wins have been by one point. One point over Michigan State in that really yeah. ugly, I think, Red Box Bowl. 7-6, seven, six, seven, I was six. there. Yeah, it was <laughs> ugly. And then a couple of 28-27 wins over Wisconsin and, and most recently North Carolina last year in those bowls. So, yeah, just one point wins the last three wins they've had. Haven't had a – a win by more than two points in about a decade in a bowl game. So uh, <laughs> opportunity for that to change maybe on Monday. That's a very hmm. good stat. I, I hadn't heard that. Um, all right. Uh, defensive team prediction. Uh, I have a theme. If if you've read my story, you picked up on it. If you haven't, you're going to pick up on it now. Another bowl record for Oregon. Um, this is sacks in a football game. I, I think – to what Jared said at the very beginning of the show, the, the trenches is going to what's one of the bigger factors of what sides this game. I have ultimate confidence 
especially with Brandon Dorless playing in this game. It sounds like Jordan Birch, uh, he is going to try to play in this game, which is pretty admirable considering he's got a knee injury and the opponent that Oregon is playing is historically known to, to do a lot of cut blocks. Um, and so I, even with Popo gone, I think they're going to stuff the run and it's going to create some situations where Liberty is going to have to throw on third and long or second and long, put them in some uncomfortable positions and whether it's a one yard sack or a 10 yard sack, I think Oregon's going to, going to get the record. Um, so I'm going to go with five sacks, uh, really high. It's a really high number, but I'm going out with a bang or starting 2024 off with a bang. So bull record, most sacks in the game, five or more. Are the, uh, are the fans going to see you sip some champagne again on new year's day, Matt? Is that a, I don't know. I mean, I've got to find some champagne. There's apparently some being served tonight here at the hotel. I, I, can't, imagine, I, I can't imagine it'd be too difficult to find yourself. <laughs> no, <someone> no, no. <laughs> in New Year's Day. Um, yeah, kind of sticking with the themes here. I think we're all picking things that are pro-Oregon, which is not yes. always the case. But um, I think Oregon's going to hold Liberty to a, a new rush low for this season. And again, just a couple of stats that are pretty impressive with Liberty's run offense this year, over 400 yards on the ground twice over 300 yards, seven times, including six of their last seven games. Um, again, I think 303 yards per game. It's just, just kind of an impressive, impressive deal here, but they haven't faced. And I mean, Jared brought this up earlier, a rush defense as anywhere near as good as Oregon's. And I think Oregon is going to, to kind of, I don't want to say fully shut them down because of the way Liberty operates. There are, are, unless Oregon just sniffs this out and plays some of this triple option stuff perfectly and does it for the entirety of the game, I expect that Liberty will have some success. But I think they will be held under 191 yards rushing, which is their current season low on the ground. Um, and to be clear, Oregon has been really good on the ground, and the most they've allowed was – 174 yards. Let me pull that back up. Yeah, against yeah, Texas. Buck 74. Against Texas Tech way back in uh, in early September. So uh, it's certainly with them. This doesn't feel incredibly bold to me, but kind of puts into perspective of like, yeah, this is one of the best. Well, this is the best rush offense statistically and one of the best run defenses. And I think the, the Oregon's run defense is going to do enough to to sort of slow down what Liberty has done, or at least hold them from some of the statistical milestones they've hit regular this year. Yeah, I had the exact same prediction. Um, I just, like I started the podcast off with, I just think it's going to be the difference maker in the game. Like the the absolute ultimate difference maker in this one is, <clears throat> excuse me, is how much Oregon can limit Liberty and their damage that they do on the ground. Um, Man, that was bad. My voice is really going now after 40 minutes of a podcast. But we're going to fight. We're going to persevere. We're going to go on. Um, <laughs> like Oregon has allowed – obviously, Eric just went through the most at Texas Tech. But the second highest of the season was against Washington in the you know the Pac-12 championship game, 157. And I know at the time it was detrimental and some of those long runs are what killed him at the end of the game. But 157 yards in the ground isn't anything to really, you know, be mad about against the number two team in the country. Um, and this Liberty team, like I expect Oregon to to give up some yards in the ground, just like what Eric went through. But 
Um, I expect them to play well. I expect this to be a different type of opponent than Liberty has faced all season long. Um, even though that Oregon is going to be without guys like Papo Amobai, um, I still think that their interior defensive line depth has, is good. It's going to be some younger guys like Amari Washington, who Dan Lanning was very complimentary of when I spoke to him. Um, like guys like that, they're going to have their opportunities to go in there and make a name for themselves, which is another thing that you have to kind of take into account for this defense. But um, yeah, I just I, I have the same prediction as Eric under 191 yards uh, against Oregon's defensive front. Um, and for someone who might be stopping in in the defensive player prediction, um, I've got Jeff Bossa, Lord Jeffrey Bossa, um, <laughs> going leading the team in tackles. Um, I don't know what that number will be, but I think it would have to be maybe more than his career high or his season high, excuse me, which is currently 11, which he did. Last game against Washington uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. But this, look, Liberty's going to run the ball. They have two 1,000-yard rushers. They have, you know, an incredible amount of total carries this year. It's uh, like 370, um, which is ridiculous. And they're a good running team. They're going to run the ball in the middle. There's going to be a lot of RPOs. There's going to be a lot of options. And Jeff's going to be right there among them. So it was either him or Justin Jacobs, but um, I went with Jeff. I think he's going to be a little more active and he's going to lead the team in tackles, which probably is going to be like 12, maybe 13 to lead the team in tackles. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I would have gone linebacker tackles because I went safety tackles, but I, I was focused in on, which is fair. I, I was focused on the, the, the sending the seniors out on the right note angle here. So I, I I've picked uh, very cute, zone, very cute zoned in on my boy, Evan Williams, who I, I think, has probably unfairly received a lot of criticism recently. I also understand like there are probably some plays you can point out that weren't perfect. I also think he's been one of the best players on this Oregon defense all season, leading tackler, certainly one of the leaders, was an all Pac-12 second team selection. Um, this is his last game in Green Yellow. I know it was only one season. Um, it brings uh, an end to the Williams line at Oregon, which is also a little bit sad. It's, there's been a Williams on an Oregon roster for a very long time. By the way, this is slightly off topic, but there's going to have been a Herbert at Oregon for close to a decade by the time Patrick uh, concludes his career, uh, whenever that is. But I, I went Evan over 10 tackles, uh, which would be the second time this year and would be the seventh time in his long, illustrious collegiate football career so I, I again i'm a i'm an evan williams fanboy i guess i think he's a really good player i think he's he's had some really big moments i think he'll finish his career off on the right foot just because like Bo and bucky and dorless and all of these guys that are this will be their send-off games they're playing in it for a reason i think there's a a, a level of wanting to, to to kind of finish with a statement and I, I think we'll see evan play with you know like it's his last college football game which obviously it is all right. Uh, for me, for my individual, um, I'm sticking with the theme that I think Liberty is going to have to throw the football. And I'm also sticking with the theme that it's going to be a bull record uh, for Oregon in this one. Because um, I'm a firm believer in what you guys think of stuffing the run, which forces them to throw, which leads to opportunities to deflect passes, which Darius Bird currently holds the record for most passes defended in a bowl game at four which also came back in 2007. If you remember that game, Oregon just destroyed South Florida um, in a very weird, surprising fashion. Weird game. Weird game. Yes, very weird game. Um, I think 
there's going to be a, a, a player on Oregon's roster that has five deflections or more in this contest. Uh, I, I did say in the story it was going to be Joel Florence, but I did give me a caveat that said if he doesn't get to play because of the injury, I'll, I'll pick Dante Manning because he's the top dog uh, at that position going into this bowl game, which kind of hurts my confidence that this happens, but I put it in. Uh, I will stick with it. Um, but I, I, I think Dante Manning, five passes defended or more in this football game, which will be a bowl record for Oregon. All right, uh, score predictions to wrap up the show. Um, all of us, obviously, by these picks have been pretty high on Oregon and their ability to win or potential to win this football game. And uh, for me, I, I, I think it's going to be right along what the spread is at. Um, I, I think Oregon's going to be a little bit better in the trenches, or I should say a lot better in the trenches. I think their depth will be what ultimately is the deciding factor. Um, that's something that Will Stein touched on. Uh, Chris Hampton also uh, talked on this of just these group of five teams, the representative, their their starters are as good as a lot of these power five teams that didn't make the college football playoffs. Uh, they are firm believers that the group of five champion, uh, their starting lineups are, are elite. They have special players. They have NFL talent on their roster. But what does these teams in is – how well or the inability for them to hold up to the depth of a power five team like Oregon. Uh, and, and both guys said like, if, if they're able to stay healthy in this game and their, their key guys can basically go the length of the game, it's going to be a close game. And it's our responsibility to, to make that uh, not happen, to wear them down. Uh, I think Oregon wears them down. I think in the second half, at some point, we see Oregon's second unit, third unit get into the game. We see Bonix get pulled. We see Bucky Irving get pulled. Uh, and it kind of turns into a youth movement. And Oregon wins this one 45-24, uh, probably a little bit more points than I would have anticipated early on. But I just think Oregon's going to pull some of their starters. They're going to give up maybe 10 points in the second half that they normally wouldn't have if they didn't, if they kept their starters in the game. Um, but I think it's going to be a 45-24 win. Oregon does cover the spread. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like I've predicted too many points for Oregon now. I've got Oregon 56-21. Um, but kind of hear me out because I, I, I want to be clear. I don't know if we've really appreciated or spoken enough about Liberty and, and what this season has been and how good they've actually been. I, I don't want it to feel like we're completely diminishing them. But I, I'm going to guess we're going to come out of this game with a little bit more appreciation from Liberty than what certainly what some of the I guess I'd say more extreme viewpoints from the fan base has been. I mean, there's been people out there predicting like 70 to nothing and stuff like that. Which That's is, not going to happen. Which is just outrageous. Um, but I, I, I do think a couple of things can be true. I think we can also come out of this game feeling like, man, Liberty showed some stuff. I think their offense is going to have some success. And again, we haven't really talked enough about probably the fact that Oregon could be without three of its best five corners and its two starters for the whole season. And what does... Caden Salter and CJ Daniels and some of these receivers do against that. Like, I think that is kind of an underrated part, but ultimately my, my feeling is I think this is going to be a Bo Nix, Bucky Irving sendoff game. And I think you're going to see both those guys perform at a really high level. I don't think it's going to quite reach what it was against Arizona state because Arizona state is not as good of a football team as Liberty, 
hot take. Uh, the team that won like what three games is not as good as the team that won thirteen. Um, Going out on a limb, man. <laughs> but just a little bit. Um, but I, I, I think Oregon ultimately will have a lot of offensive success, which is why I went pretty high on the total 56. Again, maybe is a touchdown too much, maybe 10 points too much. I don't know. Probably people listening think it's not enough, but, um, I, I think you're going to come out of this game being like, that was the right send off for Bo. Bo gets to kind of ride off into the sunset, cap off a 12 win season. Oregon's only had five of those historically. This would be the sixth, um, and I think Bo's going to have a, a good enough game where he continues to move up the statistical leaderboard on Oregon's list. And I, I kind of sense he's going to surpass Mr. Mac Jones for the uh, completion percentage record on the NCAA le- uh, level in a season, which he's like the two decimal points beneath right now. So mm-hmm. um, I think Oregon wins 56-21. I think I wouldn't be surprised if in the first quarter or even into the early second half that this game is pretty competitive and maybe Oregon's only up seven points 10 points 14 points but um i do think there will be separation and i think oregon's offense is gonna is gonna put on a show um as long as bo's in this game yeah i've got oregon winning 41 21 um as i wrote about in my prediction you know i don't know how this game is going to start i mean it's a bowl game they have, teams haven't played in a month um they're gonna be rusty dan talked about it today at his press conference i like the most missed tackles in the season are in week one and then they're in the bowl week. So it could be something like that. I certainly anticipate Liberty is going to come out with its hair on fire and try to give Oregon their big, biggest shot, best shot immediately starting. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they went pass heavy. Like Salter's a good quarterback. Like, yes, he you know has a thousand yards in the ground, like more than like literally one more yard than Bucky Irving in like 70 fewer attempts. So he can certainly scoot, he can certainly move on the ground, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if they started to go right out of the gate and try to pass because, like what Eric said, Oregon's down three of their top five starters. Um, their starters – or, excuse me, three of the five cornerbacks. Their starters for most of the year. There's going to be some depth concerns there. And it's going to be Dante Manning, Nico Reed, guys who are relatively undersized. Uh, Dante Manning obviously has his long arms, but you know he's still only 5'10", 5'11". So – it's certainly something to watch, but I just think that Oregon's going to be too much. Um, I think their offense is going to have some success early on, and I think you know Oregon's one of the best second-half adjustment teams I've seen in recent memory at the university, and I think that they'll have some adjustments there that'll either help shut down whatever pass game Liberty has going for them, or um, you know stack the box more and force them into throwing situations if they feel like they have they can win those one-on-one matchups on the outside. But with Bo Nix and Bucky Irving and Tez Johnson and all these guys coming back, um, you have to like where Oregon is. I mean, this is a team that was one of the best teams in the country for a significant portion of the season, where if they win against Washington in the Pac-12 championship game, they're likely in the college football playoffs, and they're playing on the same day but in a different bowl. And I don't think any of that's really changed. I mean, yeah, they lost Jack Spires Johnson and Troy Franklin, but the – the skeleton of a college football playoff team is still there on the field. It still has a lot of talent on it, and Liberty just isn't that. So I don't think it's going to be a major blowout. Like I've been seeing, Eric, like you were saying, like 70 to nothing, or, or like I saw there's a thread on our message board that says, are we going to score more points in, than Georgia? First, A, <laughs> we, you're not on the team, and B, oh, no. 63 points is a lot. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I don't think Oregon, not we, never we, um, you are a fan, not on the team, 
I don't think they're going to score more than 63 points, and I don't think it's going to be a blowout. But I think Oregon's going to cover the spread. I think it's going to be contested, but 41-21 is my is my prediction. All right, real quick to keep this under an hour podcast. Yeah, extra prop bet. Yes, no. Uh, do we see Bo Nix get some kind of trick play, whether that is a throwback to him a la Joey Harrington in the Holiday Bowl for a touchdown or what he did last year against Colorado? Or do we see like a flea flicker where they hand it off to Bucky and he turns around and flips it back to, to Bo to, to throw it deep to Tess? I say yes. We get some kind of air quotes Heisman moment play call uh, for, for Bo. Doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be successful, but I think they try it. Uh, what about a tackle eligible, but the tackle actually reports to the official? Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd yeah. be cool. Um, I think he did report. The referee I, just didn't. I, I kind of do too, not to stick not to stick on that game very long because it's nothing to do with this game. Um, yeah, no, I I, uh, I was just actually thinking, funnily enough, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon does run a couple of fun things just because I, I got a sense when Kenny was the play caller and when Will's, and since Will's been the play caller, there's just kind of a level of, they want to have fun, and this is a opportunity to have some fun. I don't expect it to happen. It's either going to happen like the very first drive, or it's going to happen when the game is out of reach. I don't think that they'll, if this is like a fourteen to thirteen game, yeah, no. the, the second quarter, I don't think we'll see the the throwback pass. But um, I could see if again, it could be like right off the bat to kind of surprise Liberty, or it could be in the second half. Oregon does create separation, so I will say yes, there will be one. Um, I, but I, I don't expect it to be if this game is really competitive throughout. I don't know if we'll see it. I'll say yes as well. I just – Will doesn't call as many trick plays or fun plays as Kenny did, Correct. and I think that's yeah. fine. And the offense is still very good. Uh, I'm sure he has them in his bag somewhere as well, but he doesn't. he just doesn't call them as often. So my heart says – no, my brain says no, but my heart says yes. Yeah, like let's have Bonix run a thirty-yard out route. But the last time that happened didn't work so well. Bonix almost got decapitated on the perimeter. Mm. So let's do it. It's his final game, so why not? My, uh, can I make a little extra bet? Sure. sure. I think uh, I think Austin Austin Novasad throws a touchdown is is a, is a really easy one. But if Oregon does create separation, there will be yeah. an opportunity for that. So I will make that a, just to tie into my score prediction of, of it being fairly lopsided. If I think that's a possible outcome, then I probably think Austin Novosad might, might throw a touchdown. To the field, yeah. All right. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, next time you hear from us, um, we will be doing a recap of the VRBL Fiesta Bowl, win or lose, uh, from Glendale, Arizona. Hopefully you guys listen to that show. Check out our work on duckterritory.com. Leading up to, during, and post-game, we'll have full analysis coverage of that. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you in the new year, folks. Peace.